You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Later in the program, the EPA recently announced that it will enforce pollution regulations onto Indiana's coal-fired power plants in order to stop groundwater contamination. WFHB correspondent Nathaniel Weinzapfel has more in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have your weekly consumer watchdog segment, Better Beware, with Richard Fish. More following today's feature. But first, your environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Wednesday, January 19th. I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. Ever since last September, some Bloomington residents have complained about the taste of their tap water, which researchers attributed to algal growth on Lake Monroe. However, starting years prior and continuing to today, the Friends of Lake Monroe have worked to help residents of Monroe County understand how their actions can lead to foul-tasting water. For example, Excess fertilizer runoff from lawns and faulty septic systems have leaked into the Lake Monroe watershed and caused the algal growth. It is necessary for Monroe County residents to be mindful of their actions as almost all of the water runoff when it rains will end up in Lake Monroe and then, after purification, become our drinking water. A new bill in the Indiana House from State Representative Donna Schleibe, a Republican from Carmel, is likely to reduce the amount of hours and days that Indiana residents can light fireworks. The representative cites the negative effects on pets and military veterans who often suffer through the loud fireworks. At the current moment, fireworks are allowed statewide five days both before and after the 4th of July and around midnight on New Year's Eve. If the bill passes, different localities around the state would be able to set their own days when fireworks are allowed and could restrict them to only being on the day of the 4th of July and New Year's Eve. Opponents of the plan believe that it is not the government's right to restrict citizens from using a legal product. It is to be determined if the Indiana House will pass the bill. Across the ocean, the country of France has begun to reduce the amount of trash produced through a countrywide ban on plastic packaging specifically for fruits and vegetables. Foods like carrots, potatoes, apples, and pears will no longer be in plastic packaging. A similar measure has banned plastic for fast food kids' toys and the plastic that is wrapped around magazines. This marks a step in President Emmanuel Macron's climate goal to phase out single-use plastics. The ban has not been met without resistance, as packaging manufacturers and farmer groups have decried the measures taken. However, experts predict that the ban will eliminate roughly 1 billion tons of plastic waste annually. 
And that's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsaufel. At the Monroe County Council meeting on January 11th, Councilmember Jeff McKim nominated Kate Wiltz as the president of the council and Councilmember Trent Deckard as vice president. The nominations passed 6-0-1. to zero to one. Chief Probation Officer for the Monroe County Circuit Court, Linda Brady, explained a grant they received from the Indiana Offices of Court Services. This grant we've received for the past five years. Uh, is awarded by the Indiana Office of Court Services to our local court uh, to provide pretrial services. Uh, we started out with just one position for the public, with the deputy public defender funded by this grant, and it was expanded uh, a couple of years later to add a full-time pretrial probation officer. It also funds a part-time probation officer assistant for the project. This grant pays for only the salaries and fringe benefits and pays for no other items, no other supplies, services, or anything else. We started receiving this grant funding in 2016 because we were one of the 11 original pilot counties for pretrial in Indiana. And uh, so we were very lucky. We got in on the ground floor being one of the pilot counties. Community Corrections Director and Assistant Chief Probation Officer, Becca Streit, explain the importance of the defense position the grant funds. The state of Indiana bases their certification on several things, um, but they primarily base it on uh, some National Institute of Corrections and the National Association of Pretrial Service Agencies. They have national standards for what an effective pretrial program should look like, and there's, there's several things in that framework. But one of them, uh, one of the one of the more important things is always having defense counsel present at first appearance hearings. Um, that is a requirement not only of being a certified program, but it's also best practices. And since the beginning, when we started in 2016, we have had a fabulous partnership with the public defender's office. They have been at every stakeholder meeting at the table, providing um, input from their side of things. And in talking to other counties who have been uh, doing pretrial work, um, a lot of them talk about having an adversarial relationship with their public defenders or their defense attorney stakeholders. And here in Monroe County, we have never had that. We have had a fabulous partnership. Um, in keeping in the spirit of that best, those best practices set by the by the. Um, by the, the nation and different agencies. Um, there's two primary reasons why having defense counsel at first appearance is vital. Um, one is it provides, of course, representation and advocacy for our defendants. Pretrial assessors and the, our pretrial staff, um, they attend hearings, they provide the information to the court, but we have a very limited role. We're not attorneys. We can't answer questions about an, a defendant's case. So we refer and defer to the expertise of the, the defense counsel. Um, the other big reason that defense counsel is there is, well, the prosecutor gets to be there or has to be there, and the prosecutor gets to say their piece. And having defense counsel 
uh, on behalf of our, our pretrial defendants, just as a, as a fairness issue. Um, so we're, uh, we're sad to have this cut, um, specifically for the public defenders, um, because again, we've had a fabulous working partnership with them and, and will continue to, to do so. They've been such a vital piece to our pretrial project. Division 5 Circuit Court Judge Mary Ellen Dekoff added that the reason the probation department doesn't have the funds is because they normally receive more grant money. We did not see this coming. We were given no notice at all that this grant was going to be cut as drastically as it has been cut. Um, and it is. It's detrimental to pretrial, and it's, it, it's going to affect it if we cannot um, have a public defender in the courtroom. Having that public defender in the courtroom is extremely beneficial when we're assessing um, somebody's release, um, getting their questions answered, and being able to move forward uh, more quickly, more efficiently, and most importantly, um, so that everybody in the room is has the representation that they need and is able to be able to, um, and the court has individuals to um, ask questions of, the defendant can ask questions, and it it's vital to the program and to the success of the of the program. And we have a very, very successful pretrial program. And it's due to that the cooperation to the um the team um, that meets. There's a broader team than just us that meets to see that this is done um, and how it's done. And we were surprised by this and we're bringing it to your attention tonight because we we it's important that you're aware that we were anticipating this grant to be what this grant was, and it has now been cut in half. And without um, that, the ability to have a public defender in the courtroom, it's going to severely impact um, the pretrial program. Councilmember Jeff McKim supported the work the pretrial program has accomplished and said he would support local funds being used to compensate for the lost grant money. I, I guess the other thing I, I have to say just about the, uh, you know, about grants from the state is that, you know, it's it's still not free money. I mean, it's still basically the same taxpayers who are paying for for the services. Um, you know, it's still the, the residents of, uh, of Indiana, at least, who are uh, who are paying and businesses who are paying those taxes that are supporting money coming from the state. So, you know, I in some ways it's 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 a little bit six of one half a dozen of the other unless we're you know essentially making money off of other uh other counties who are underfunding their services and i don't think we want to encourage that either so i guess i'm i'm essentially agreeing with councillor hawk and saying congratulations you know we we've we've, uh, we've done a great job i will say that that i i think this program is incredibly important this is what it means when we say innocent until proven guilty that's that's what pretrial release means and we have to be willing to uh, operationalize that. If we say we believe in that concept, we have to operationalize it with services and and resources. So, I mean, I definitely um, assume we will see a uh, uh, an additional appropriation request to continue to fund this position. And uh, you know, I'm I'm anticipating supporting that uh, that request. Uh, but but and I and I think it is a valid uh, investment for us to make out of out of local funds. The council approved the appropriation of funds unanimously. The next meeting will be held on February 8th.
Up next, Monroe County is now in the red advisory category. We turn to WFHB anchors Don Guerra and Nikki Stewart Ingersoll for more. Monroe County has moved to the red advisory category on the state's color-coded map. The red advisory means that a county has a seven-day positivity rate of 15% or higher, and that weekly cases range from 200 or more cases per 100,000 residents. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Cottle provided a breakdown of the latest COVID-19 numbers during the press conference on Friday. I will start with news I don't think is new to anybody, and that's that the county advisory is red this week. Our current rolling daily average is rising every day. It's now over 300 per day, the highest number that we've seen so far. This week, we topped 1,000 cases per 100,000 residents and a positivity rate over 19%. President of IU Health's South Central Region, Brian Shockney, said that COVID-19 hospitalizations were down last week, despite record highs in positivity. On the other hand, this does not mean hospitalizations aren't an area of prime concern, says Shockney. As Penny shared, our number of overall cases in the greater community is the highest we've seen pandemic to date. Yet we are fortunate to see a slight decline in here in the South Central region in our inpatient numbers this last week. Our inpatient census still remains at its highest. Part of this is due to incredibly ill patients who they're in the hospital for long enough, but they no longer are considered active COVID based on quarantine guidelines. So we either move them or they're taken out of that COVID-19 status, and, but they still re- require that inpatient care. Across the IU Health system, we are experiencing the largest COVID-19 inpatient census that we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic with an alarming increase of new admissions, as you can see on the screen. As our weekly infographic continues to show, this remains a fight of the unvaccinated, as here in the South Central region, our COVID-19 inpatients are comprised of 80% of unvaccinated individuals and 90% of those in critical care or on a ventilator are unvaccinated. Chief Health Officer at Indiana University, Dr. Aaron Carroll, gave updates on our use policies after making the decision to return to in-person classes. Well, as everyone has been saying, and I'm not going to belabor the point too much, this is a surge. Um, This is about as bad as we've seen it in terms of numbers. And I'd say that we're experiencing Uh, a similar situation at IU, where the numbers are higher than we have seen before. Um, Having said that, uh, they're about, well, in fact, they're probably a little bit lower than I I think I might have even expected this week. Um, We are encouraging vaccination and booster, which is the best thing we can do, as many of others have said, in order to uh, keep people both from getting ill and keeping this as contained as possible. Uh, We have drop-off testing on top of our symptomatic testing, on top of our voluntary testing, on top of our COVID check testing. And so there's just an enormous capacity to uh, make sure that those who get tests um, can get them. We are uh, revised, we've revised our quarantine and isolation guidelines to to more closely match those of the CDC. We are optimizing all of our procedures to keep all that going. We have asked 
faculty not even to mask unmask while they're lecturing to keep our classrooms as safe as possible. And as we've seen throughout the pandemic, our classrooms tend to be some of the safest places that we have on campus with very, 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 very few uh, documented transmissions that take place there. All of which is to say that we're doing our best to be as safe as possible while this surge is still going on. Um, we're optimistic that hopefully, as it is in many other places, this surge will start to uh, decrease in the next, hopefully, week or two. Um, but regardless, we will keep all of our safety measures in place and everything else that we're doing to, to try to keep Indiana safe, or keep IU as safe as possible, which we hope also keeps Bloomington and Indiana as safe as possible. To schedule an appointment for a vaccine or a booster shot, please visit ourshot.in.gov. For more information on testing sites, visit coronavirus.in.gov. The EPA recently announced that it will enforce pollution regulations onto Indiana's coal-fired power plants in order to stop groundwater contamination. WFHB environmental news correspondent Nathaniel Weinsapfel discusses what this means for both the environment and Indiana residents. Last week, the United States Environmental Protection Agency announced that coal-fired power plants throughout the country must clean the coal ash waste that is a byproduct of the burning of coal. According to the agency, there are roughly 500 unprotected coal ash ponds across the country that have the potential to leak dangerous chemicals into the groundwater, including chemicals such as arsenic and mercury. This includes the Indiana-Kentucky Electric Corporation's Clifty Creek Power Plant in Madison, Indiana, and Duke Energy's Gallagher Generating Station in New Albany. This announcement represents a change in policy as the EPA of the Biden administration is once again emphasizing regulations that were not as strongly pushed under the previous administration. This move is likely to make the water in Indiana, specifically along the state's many rivers and streams, safer and cleaner for both humans and the natural environment. According to the Indianapolis Star, there are a total of 18 coal-fired power plants across the state that have a combined amount of 80 coal ash ponds. More than half of all the electricity generation in the state comes from these power plants. In the process of generating electricity through the burning of coal, coal ash is produced. The ash is collected from both the smaller particles that get captured by pollution control devices at the top of smokestacks and the heavier particles that remain after the coal is combusted. Coal ash is particularly dangerous due to the toxic chemicals that make up the substance. Based on research from the Physicians for Social Responsibility, the chemicals in coal ash include dangerous heavy metals such as mercury, lead, and chlorine, just to name a few, with the amount of each chemical differing based on the region of the country that the coal was mined from. These pollutants have the potential to cause serious harm in both humans and natural environments. Exposure to these pollutants, whether through digesting or breathing, have the potential to cause cancer, heart damage, lung disease, reproductive issues, and numerous other hazardous ailments. Under perfect circumstances, while dangerous, the pollutants pose no harm to humans due to the coal ash ponds. Ideally, 
The coal ash residues are stored in safe and secure ponds that keep the pollutants from entering the environment as they are lined with a barrier that contains the water. However, many power plants have coal ash ponds that are unlined, meaning that the contaminated water can move through the soil and enter the local groundwater. Once in the groundwater, the local water sources often become dangerous to drink and often poison the nearby wildlife ecosystems. In fact, according to the Physicians of Social Responsibility, if a Hoosier is living near one of the plants that has an unlined wet ash pond and they drink well water, they have a 1 in 50 chance of developing cancer. Based on research by the Indy Star, leakage from these ponds have rendered the groundwater under 14 of the state's 18 power plants to be unsafe for human consumption. Despite this devastating news, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is offering new hope for Indiana residents. As mentioned prior, the agency is once again enforcing an Obama administration set of regulations that required power plants that had unsafe coal ash ponds to clean them and move the coal ash to safer storage locations. While the Trump administration weakened the regulations, the Biden administration's EPA administrator, Michael Regan, has announced that he is determined to enforce the previous regulations that hold the power plants accountable for their pollution. In the process of acting on their promises, the EPA denied new permits to operate coal ash ponds to the Indiana-Kentucky Electric Corporation's Clifty Creek Power Plant in Madison, which will now have to clean up the pollution. Many environmentalists have supported this action and similar ones as it represents a step forward in the prevention of pollution and putting a halt to industrial companies who seek to circumvent the consequences of their negative environmental actions. Hopefully soon, Indiana residents will once again be ensured that their drinking water and the environment around them will be safe enough to allow them to live long and healthy lives. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Winesapple. Now, it's time for Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment. In today's episode, Help That Doesn't Help, producer Richard Fish has more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. This week, big thanks to one of our regular listeners who sent in a picture of a letter he received in the mail. His son is getting ready to go to college, and the letter sounded like just what he wanted, financial assistance to pay for his education. And I must admit, the letter does look extremely professional and official. There's a letterhead that says simply, Help for College Now, which is apparently the name of the organization. It was addressed to the parents of the young man, and everything was spelled correctly. There was an address barcode and even a QR code block, one of those little square computer code things. Written in perfectly good English, the letter makes an impassioned plea for the family to attend a group presentation, followed by a personal interview, to see if the student qualified for assistance 
up to 100% of costs, which may be available regardless of the family's income. Now, the father, being a better-beware listener, immediately thought this sounded too good to be true, and then he noticed that the interview was already scheduled. A reservation number was included, and the letter warned that the appointment times were limited. In other words, they needed to take advantage of this offer immediately, or they might lose the opportunity entirely. This kind of push to rush, to act now, raised another red flag in our listener's mind. So he went online and did some research into Help for College Now, or HFCN. Lo and behold, he found a lot of information on the website Reddit, and it wasn't exactly encouraging. It turns out that people attending the group presentation are asked to pay $2,000 right up front, even though the letter doesn't mention that and says plainly that results cannot be guaranteed. There's a provision for monthly payments at 15% interest. Somebody who had fallen for this deal reported that they were told it was the last day to register, so they had to act instantly or lose out. But others reported getting the letter at various times all through the year, which seems to imply that registration happens all the time. Others on the Reddit page reported a similar company called Admissions Science, which had similar tactics, and also reported finding all kinds of scam warnings for HFCN and other companies online, and some had seen a video narrated by someone with a heavy accent which concentrated on telling viewers that the company was not a fraud. There is a lot of help available for finding scholarships and other college financial assistance, and it's free. You can easily find it online with a search. The federal government has FAFSA, the Free Application for Student Financial Aid. State governments have programs, and a number of nonprofit groups are long established and well trusted. Most colleges have free programs to help as well. It looks like a better name for this company would be Help for College. Now, wait a minute. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolar.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider, Nathaniel Widensapple, and myself, in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Don Guerra and Nikki Stewart Ingersoll helped produce today's feature. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. 
for WFHB, I'm Noah Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 